Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, a series for those business owner operators who want to create a better business. Here are your hosts, Chris and Mark. So welcome to the Better Business Podcast. Today's a special day. We've got a guest uh, in the studio, well, not in the studio, we're doing it all via Zoom and, and doing the appropriate social distancing. Um, but as usual, Mark Eggleston joins us from Sydney. How are you, Mark? Good, Pez. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. The weather's got a little bit warmer down here, which puts a bit of spring in your step. Well, you could complain, com- you know, Melbourne compared to Sydney, but it's not going to be any good. Lord knows I've been doing some complaining, so I, I just need to, you know, refocus the energy from complaining to, you know, doing something positive. So we are going to do something positive today because very shortly, we're going to introduce our guest. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce Sam, Sam Marzano from Boss Private Clients. Sam's a director of Boss Private Clients who are an accounting firm and, um, and other business consulting services. And I'll let Sam have a bit of a chat about that. Based in the city, in CBD in Melbourne, um, work with a, a wonderfully diverse range of, of customers and, and clients as, uh, as you and I do, Mark. So we've got some synergies there. And especially, um, I guess, uh, well, specialising in complex matters for any type of business, but they do do a lot with owner-operated businesses. So Sam's going to have a chat to us in a moment. So welcome, Sam. If you're there, you're there, Sam? Hi, Chris. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having welcome, me. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. And how are you going today, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, same uh, same sp- spring in the step as you, Chris. It's a nice sunny day today, so... Yeah, good on you. Um, now, I've got um, j- just a couple of questions just to begin with, just to um, give our, our listeners a bit of a feel for you and your yeah. um, style of work and your practice. Just give us a little bit of um, a background to yourself and, and Boss Private Clients. Um, okay, so we're, we're a public uh, practice um, based in the Melbourne CBD. So, yeah, we, we work predominantly with owner-operated businesses, um, you know, in a range of industries, uh, you know, professional services, um, construction, construction services, um, primary producers. We've been around for, you know, over over 13 years. And, um, yeah, we're um, pretty uh, dynamic in terms of how we, we, we approach clients. So, yeah. Yep. And uh, how many employees do you have there, Sam? Uh, there's about 30, 30 of us. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you, you'd call that a substantial team, like the, the sort of the, the typical um, boutique accounting firm, but, but growing into a, a, a decent sized team. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. A, it is a good team. And you've um, over the years and I've, I've, I've had a bit to do with your business. Um, you do hold a philosophy of, I guess, uh, building the practice from from the bottom up, where and, and by that I mean you know, really working, I guess, graduate programs and and developing people and and advisors as much as their technical skill, don't you? Yeah, we do, we do. Yeah, it was it was um, probably one of the. It was how I came up in um, accounting, and it's something that I really relished, you know, through my career, and I, I just think it's. You know, as much as you can spend a lot of time at uni and learning the the theory, um, I think the best way to develop someone is is kind of on the ground and um, you know in in the practice, if you like. Yeah. So, yeah, we we do we do run a graduate program, and I'm 
I'm pretty happy about it. And, and just just a, a question about your background, because you've also worked, I guess, what you would call in, in I guess, the, the corporate accounting practices as well, haven't you, like in, in much larger firms? Yeah, I have spent, I have spent um, yeah, a, a, a small part of my career there, yeah, as well. So um, yeah. about three years with a second tier firm and another three years uh, with a family office in the Melbourne CBD as well, which was which was an interesting experience. Yeah. Sam, how um, how did the larger corporate accounting firms you worked with differ from yours? Would you say? Um, how does it differ? Well, were they culturally what, different? Were they was was their focus different? Um, no, I, I I suppose if it differed in any way, it's it's probably that the larger firms have a, they contain a lot of the specialists in house. We tend to work our networks a little bit more. So if, if we don't have someone that can answer a particular question in the office, well, there'll be someone in my Rolodex that I can call on and get my client that particular advice anyway. So we've got, we, we don't just um, work with, you know, the likes of, you know, say Chris, we also work with, you know, other tax specialists in areas that we may not necessarily kind of have a, um, comprehensive understanding of because the tax law can be quite complex and that's that's probably w- one of the differences so we can provide that type of you know expertise um, and we're a big where where your larger firm will have someone in-house do it we can we can bring somebody in to assist our, our clients uh-huh thanks for that yeah and so we haven't got you on also worth mentioning as well um, you are a bit of a a cook yourself, aren't you, Sam? Eggy and I spend an, probably an inordinate amount of time speaking about food on this podcast um, when we're supposed to be talking about business tips. But your latest dalliance, as as you and I have discussed, is a, is a wood-fired oven in the backyard. Oven. Yeah, it is. I've, I've, I, I, what, what, the, what have we said since lockdown? There's like the, there's the bread making phase, you know, yeah. when everyone's kind of likes being at home, but um yeah, I, I um, just happened to have a wood-fired oven in, in my backyard. So I thought my my goal over being at home, you know, working from home would be to fire this thing up and, you know, get a pizza kind of out or produce a pizza from from the oven that, that tasted okay. And it took me a few goes, but I think I'm starting to get the hang of it. So, yeah, it's good. Hey, Sam, can you give me your address? <laughs> Well, Sam, as I was saying to you before we started recording this, Pez and I had a chat about this, and we were wondering, really, what are the what are the three things you see in most of the businesses you work with? Where do the, we could say what are the three big mistakes they make to start with, maybe? So, could you could you bunch them into three things? Do you think? So, probably, I think of when I when you ask me that question, I think about the the clients that we see for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, you know they'll they'll come into to our office and and we we take them through our process. We have a look at um, certain things um, and how they how they're set up. Um, and yeah, we 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 we've got our own type of method for doing that. So probably the the first thing that we have a look at is um, we we do a bit of upfront planning with them. So first of all, we we take a look at their structure. So um, a, a client with um, a you know a, a poor structure 
tends to, you know, not be able to achieve the type of things that they are actually setting out to do by being in business. So, you know, when I, when I talk about structure, I talk about, you know, whether they trade in their business through a, you know, a discretionary trust or whether they use a corporate entity, a company to trade through it or whether a, a unit trust is more appropriate for them. Um, it's, it's, it's going through that process and having a look at um, them, their family, you know, what, what they're ultimately going to be in business for um, and then just matching their structure, their business structure with, um, with that. So, you know, we, we see some common mistakes or common mistakes or things which are not ideal. So for instance, um, companies are great. You can trade as a, you can trade as a company um, through your business, but then, then we ask, ask the client, well, who's the shareholder in your company? Is it, is it you as an individual or is it a discretionary trust? Do you have shares equally with your wife? And look, in our process, we, we probably ideally don't want the business owner themselves to own any assets in their own name personally. So we, we might say the shares in that company, you know, ideally ought not to be owned by you, but we, we'd rather see them owned in a discretionary trust. And for a range of reasons, we'd say, um, you know, it's, it's better held that way than by you personally. And so when, we, you, yeah. when you say to them, what are you ultimately in business for, which is, I think, the phrase you just used, yeah. how many of them can answer that? Um, I, I find a few. Yeah, they've, they've got some, they've got some um, idea of, of what they're, they've got some idea in the back of their mind about what, what, the, end, what the end is, um, what, what their end in mind would be, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of clients at the moment, you know, one, one is he's, you know, winning contracts, um, keeping his business running and he's now bringing his sons in to train them to, to kind of take over the business from him. Mm -hmm. um, I've got another one who's um, setting up sites in different parts of Melbourne and the idea is to bunch them together and potentially on sell them to one person. If they can't answer that question, yeah. do you get them to think about that and then answer the question? Do you help them get to that point where they can ultimately answer the question? Um, I think what we, what we do then when they, when they, if they can't answer it necessarily, you know, for, for what, I don't think I've ever come across a, a client that necessarily can't answer you know, where they want their business to go because invariably what they, what they do is they, if um, they focus on another part of their family, if you like, about where they do what their other goals are. So for instance, it might be, you know, accumulating wealth. If the business is um, say a good cash cow, and I'm thinking of a client now, client, good cash cow, it funds, you know, the, the other activities that the business that the family does outside of the business. So they might be buying a block of land and they want to develop a, um, a commercial property on that land mm -hmm. or, you know, some sort of residential, um, they'll, they'll have a residential development or it could just be the accumulation of property um, or, or investments kind of 
um, there. So, you know, in you, you tend to get some sort of an answer. If it's not directly, you know, this is this is how I want the business to grow. It's about how I want to just uh, how the client wants to accumulate wealth or do something with what the the, the pot of gold that they that they're trying to build. Uh huh. So um, structure is one yeah. of of your that you see that they're not necessarily doing it as well as they could yeah. or doesn't serve them as well as it could serve them. Yeah. So um, underneath that, that first point, you know, with structure, you know, we also look at, um, you know, if they're going into business with someone that might be a partner, so just get, getting the documentation, setting the expectations with the partner um, at that point in time as well. So looking at things like, you know, um, some sort of shareholder or partnership agreement, um, the remuneration model as well for, for the different partners. Um, and then also looking at, um, you know, insurance um, and just kind of not, not necessarily writing or doing any advice in terms of product, but, and which kind of leads to my, my further point I'm, I'm about to make, but just understanding that if you're going to be in partnership with somebody, there's a whole range, there's an added layer of complexity around that as well. So, um, you know, in that upfront planning as well, what we, what we also like to do is just then make sure that there's, um, that all the underlying documents around the structure are in place as well. So what, what, I, what I mean by that is, is then let's say you're, you're a startup and the, the family might have a little bit of money and they're contributing some money um, into that startup into that startup entity, well, we want to make sure that that money that's been contributed in is protected in some sort of way. So we might get a lawyer and you'll, you might get a lawyer to help you draft um, loan agreements, you know, security documents to, to make sure that the, the money that's been tipped in has, has been protected. And so, is this Sam so they can recoup their money? At, at if, yeah. If, and look, we, look, we, we tend to take a bit of a, um, it, it sounds a bit pessimistic when we think of the worst case scenario. So if there's ever a worst case scenario and there's a pool of money left because of, you know, funds are collected and the business doesn't um, continue, then the first person to get repaid is actually the family. Mm-hmm. So we put a secured credit, we make them the secured creditor when we do this. So one thing we do, you know, if, if we want to take a positive, something positive out of what I've just said about upfront planning, what we what we tend to do is, is then work in with other professionals. So you come in, we look at your structure. Well, we're going to need some legal documents prepared. We're going to need, um, yeah, um, legal documents. You might need to work with an insurance broker or your bank or a financial planner. You know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, um, or your business coach as well. You know, um, Chris has helped us along the way in some of those um, partnership type of issues and um you know we we like i i think like similar to what i had said or mentioned previously about working in one of those larger environments you know in terms of what we do it's not just say the tax guy that we bring in it'll be a different type of professional that we bring in to help us and you know we, we all work collaboratively collaboratively that's a really good model, isn't it, Sam, to have yourself surrounded by a bunch of professionals who you can call on when you need to. I imagine yeah. that works for you really, really well. Yeah, look, it's good. You, 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 you work in with different people from different 
um, walks of life with different takes on different um, types of issues. And it, it just means you, you're constantly kind of learning and it's, it's quite a dynamic environment to be a part of. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it works, it works quite well. Geez, Pez, how many times have we been in business where partner expectations have not been clearly outlined? Well, it, it's funny, Sam and I were speaking recently how it could almost be a, a, a talk series in its own right. Oh, could it ever? Bloody hell. Yeah, because yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, it, without going down the minefield in this particular chat, it's, it's such a point well made, Sam, that um, if you're going into partnership or, or you are a sole trader and, and then you are bringing partners on board or, or selling down some equity at a f- future point in time or however it goes, um, it, it, there's so much more to think about than just the, um, the benefit of the partnership because we all get, I guess, blinded by what, you know, all the good stuff that's going to come from it, but we never spend enough time, I guess, um, you know, just, just looking at the not so sexy stuff, which is, okay, what, what does this really mean? And, and like the, the topics that you spoke about there, what, what's it going to mean in terms of our, our shareholding, are, are things even, what does it mean for our remuneration? Because that always comes up down the, down the path. Is there a big age difference between partners? Because that can also um, bring its own complexities as well down the track when they're in different stages of their, of their commercial lives. Uh, what happens to those shares? Um, is there succession planning in there? Are there people coming through? And I often think that when you look at some of those issues in relation to partnership, you have to actually look at it in totality with, okay, well, that this is us now as a partnership, but we can't just put a, a framework in place for us now. We actually have to put commit to a framework for everyone in the future as well. And you don't have to get nailed at all on day one, but you have to have that context. Otherwise, it, it's very rare that that it all goes very smoothly when a partner has to either sell down, sell out, whatever that looks like in the future. Um, and, you know, like you and I've spoke about in the past, that, that can go a million different ways. And, and it's probably a, a conversation for the future as well, isn't it? I think it is, Pez. And the thing that I think you just, there's two things there that come to mind for me. Those documents are living documents. They need to be readdressed regularly because as things change in the partnership, you know, as time goes on, and the other thing is I'm always surprised by when you talk to someone who's been in a partnership and they often say, I'd never go into a partnership again. They're bloody horrible. The interesting thing is when you're in a good partnership, they're absolutely fantastic. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. And you'd say that, Sam, wouldn't you? you, you yeah, as much as there are partnership issues, they're, they're the ones that are fantastic. They're very powerful when they're good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to steal an expression from a, an old director that I used to work for. And he would say to me, he'd say, Sam, and, and uh, he'd say, all partnerships fail, the best ones through death. And it was, it's a bit of a head scratcher, but if you think about it, um, you know, those, those partnerships that, that stand the test of time, they're, they're really something special. And, and I, I see it in my client base as well, where, you see, um, you know, where partnerships may not kind of stand the test of time and, and ones that actually do. And the, the ones that do, um, they do, they also do that through um, thick and thin as well. They've, they've gone through their issues, that something's happened in the business, it's challenged them, they've come out of it really good. And you, you see how these unrelated parties, so partners being different families, um, I get through it together and, and it's, it's actually a really um, 
it's a special thing to see when they, when they can kind of get through this stuff and see their way out the other side. So yeah, they they're great when they they're great when they work. Um, yeah, great point. So Sam, you had a, I'll go on, Egg. Yeah, um, well, sorry to cut across your pairs. Um, you had structure was one. You had a couple more in your mind, I think. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so there's um, yeah, so we've talking the, the the structure was part of all the upfront planning, and we've, we've discussed you know documentation documentation in one shape or form. I suppose the the second point I'd say in terms of um, mistakes that clients make is not understanding their top line. So um, when... Can you unpack that a little? Yeah, I can, yeah. Um, sometimes, or clients from time to time um, think that a profitability issue might actually be or stem from spending too much. But... What it actually might be more so is before we, you know, before you get to the overheads, and I, I, it's probably the last thing that I look at. It's actually looking at the drivers in your business that grow revenue, and also the the variable costs attached to that revenue. So if if a client came to me and said, "Look, our profitability is down," I'd be starting at the I'd be starting at the revenue line, and and look, I, I work for um, or I act for a number of, you know, professional services businesses. So the first thing we're, we're actually looking at is utilisation of staff. So if you've got people standing around and, or they're not productive or they're not, you know, um, they're not um, billing time, it, it's, it's, quite a, it, it's quite a rock to uncover when you, when you kind of go into a business and say, okay, well, there's, there's an issue here that, that you can actually... Um, hone in on an issue, un- open up or uncover the rock and then just find a number of reasons why um, they may not actually be making money. And generally none of them have to do with, you know, overheads, you know, or, or, or you know, cutting the, the, the biscuits from the, the, the coffee jar kind of in the <laughs> kitchen. It's, it's more about, about utilisation of staff, practices within the business about billing, mm. Um, hard conversations with clients about um, contracts that have been signed. It's, it's, it's a range of things. So it's really when you get those kind of things, right. um, That's when, that's when you can really grow your profitability, your ability to scale, you know, all that, all those really good things, businesses that want to grow actually go and do. So I'd say, you know, the second, the, the second mistake would be not understanding your top line. I think that's probably pairs what you and I might call efficiency. Yeah, it's it's, it's that um, broader conversation around your capacity, isn't it? Yes, capacity is the word. Actually. Yeah, yeah, and it's a good point because so many times you will go into a business or, or speak to someone, and and they the first thing they think about when they think about um, growing their their bottom line is cut is slashing some sort of cost out of the business and and that that'll help us get there and you and it's almost like one of the first things you need to go is well how how long have you actually been running the business like this for and if it's a relatively mature business that cost is in the business probably for a reason 
you know, it's about, it's about building that foundation for which to then go and attack your top line and go and find that extra work or more sales. It's, it's almost like, you know, for example, using the metaphor of the factory, you know, once you've got the factory right and you've got the, the understand how much throughput can go through the factory and, and if everything was working at hundred percent, it would be X, but if everything was working, at maybe 80%, it will be Y. Well, then you have to aim for where are we in relation to that 80% as a minimum in terms of what we're turning over. And, and anything below that then becomes that conversation, as you say, a gear around efficiency. And, and, and it's a point well made, Sam, because um, quite often it's like sales gets done last, you know, like that, that focus on, on, on bringing in more work or, or understanding utilization rates or actually getting people productive or even building a culture around the fact that you have to be productive um, is this thing that sort of gets pushed to the side it's, it's more about this cost management and it's somewhat a little bit, and I don't want to, I don't mean to rag on accountancy, but it's uh, the irony is not lost on an accountant speaking about going and work on your sales rather than, <laughs> rather than you're slashing your costs in off your P and L um, it's, it's refreshing to hear because um, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's like the partnership conversation. How many chats would you have had with businesses about um, profitability? And they say, yeah, well, where, where's the cost that we need to get rid of? Yeah, and then you and I probably would go, well, we're not sure if it's a cost you do need to get rid of, actually. It's just be more efficient. Um, I might just make the point here, Pez, when you and I refer to factory, we mean it. you're not making things, it's where the work gets done. Yeah. As people yeah. think we're talking about making widgets, we're not. It's, it's where the work happens. Yeah. Whether yeah. you're an accounting firm, whether you do actually make widgets, whatever you are. Or cannoli. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Well, that is making a widget, the world's yeah. best widget. Yeah. Could be a cannoli factory. Could be a pizza factory, Sam. You know, right <laughs> out in front of Could be. Oh, Could be. Um, so a ribs factory. Yeah. <laughs> funny, it's, funny, it, it's funny you make that comment about the factory, though, because as we, the concepts that we apply when we look at um, this, this kind of issue with clients, you gen, what we find is we generally take the same approach whether they're a service business, whether they're a retailer or they make widgets, it's, it, you, you're generally tackling it the, the, the same way. You've got, you know, different issues and different ways of addressing it. But, um, yeah, it, you know, the, the term factory being all-encompassing is, 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 a, is a good way to kind of think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, might just do it. so we've got uh, structure. Yeah. We've got understanding your top line. In other words, is it an efficiency issue or do you need to do a bit of slash and burn? Yeah, probably not a slash and burn. And you're on that, Eggy, before you move on. Yeah. Very important around the, the Sam's second point there is energetically, a business that goes to cut out costs creates a, a different energy cycle in that yeah. business. Yeah. Right. You know, a, a business that turns over $5 million, for example, that's, on, that's in the process of, of, of getting rid of costs is completely different energetically to a business turning over the same amount of money that's in the process of, of going and finding more top line or building the business and becoming more efficient. So a question, then a question for you both. Um, we're, in, we're in some really strange times now. Um, businesses are probably in that. I mean, what you call that 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 negative energy phase, I probably call contractionary. Yeah. Right. So, you've got businesses in this contractionary phase um, that 
you know, for, for, for no, no fault of their own have to actually go through and, and do this. Have you, have you guys had any experiences with businesses that, um, you know, have had to go through and, you know, reduce their overheads as a last resort? And um, are, are you coaching anybody kind of into and out of that phase kind of at the moment? I had an interesting one, Sam, um, there, architects, surveyors, engineers, and they entered that phase where they thought they would have to contract their business. And they were really worried about telling their staff. They did start to do that. But interestingly, what came out of this was because they've got such an embedded culture and a really good culture, the staff took it really well. And it turned out not to be such a problem as I thought it was going to be. And in, and in fact, they didn't end up contracting. What I would say, though, is as coaches, is that you have to be really careful here that you're not making an incorrect assumption. Yeah. So were they, were they concerned that, were the owners of that business concerned that by, say, you know, um, the, their contraction must have been, you know, potential layoffs of yes. staff? Yeah. So they were concerned that that would affect the culture, but everyone took it. Everyone took it. I couldn't believe how everyone took it. They just banded together. They went, right, we're getting through this together. You know, um, they didn't actually lay anyone off. They cut down working hours quite considerably yeah. and managed that. Man people were working remotely and they managed that really well. And, and now everyone's back. In it. They didn't end up getting rid of anyone just by managing it well and having a culture where everyone really just put the shoulder to the wheel. And yeah. And I think yeah, same, same for me, Sam. Um, Working probably three examples that spring to mind, and they're all very similar to that, where there was the the fear of having to lay people off, um, and in ones that had to reduce some hours significantly, culturally very strong organisations, and and very much like Eggy's example, um, got got through it really well. They didn't end up laying anyone off. They just did some reduced hours, some some um, split rosters, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but I I think one of the catalysts to that was it wasn't just because they were very sound culturally and, and we'd done a lot of pre-work with them. And, and I guess, you know, without trying to, you know, we never really promote ourselves on this eggy do we at all, but um, it, it is, it is a, I guess, an advertisement for having good professionals around you to, to help advise you through your business, whether it's people like yourself, Sam, or people like us in the lead up to situations like this, like the good times aren't going to last forever. So it's about how you prepare, like the, the old, you know, borrowing sayings. There was a, there was a good one from one of the old footy coaches in the past, which I always love, which said, you know, that there'll be a time when the winter asks you what you did all summer. Um, you know, about saying when, when the, when the grounds are heavy and hard in the middle of uh, heavy and, and wet and, and bogs as they used to play back in the day in the middle of winter, you know, how many miles did you get in your legs in the middle of summer? So when the time, when the weather was good, what were you doing? And, it, it's not just the cultural piece. It's the fact that I think a lot of people are very aware that it's, it's essentially policy that has turned off, off the demand and the supply in the industry. So a lot of people understand that it's not through mismanagement that were, we're in this situation. It's actually because of something that, that in a way, and it is not blaming the government for COVID, but the government has said, you can't go shop. You can't open your business. You can't do this. You can't do that. So um, business owners have, have, as much um, of, of, of a clear story to give to the staff that are already well aware of what the story is. It's not like they're trying to fudge bad decisions they've made or, or, you know, they're trying to just 
you know, going through a, a cost cutting exercise and a restructure and so on and so forth. It's actually, it's, it's a very, you know, I, I guess it's, it's all out in the open for everyone to understand. So I think in, in a certain way, it's made it easier for people to stomach. Yeah, I think you're right, Piers. And um, as Mark, who we had on this program a little while ago, said to me recently, this is the first time in a very long time we've had a drop in demand. It's not a drop in supply. Yeah. It's been a drop in demand. Yeah. And when, when we think about some of the stuff we did, maybe even just to go back a little bit further, Sam, in like during the GFC with clients, that, that was a bit different. Like that was a structural issue with the economy and that was a genuine um, economic, um, what, what, what was it? It was a depression in, in, the, in a way, wasn't it? It was horrendous. Nearly, yeah, nearly was. And, um, and what, what we were working through with clients then and the, the ones that were still able to, I guess, survive and then, and then come out thriving on the other side of that was a heavy, heavy um, focus on relationship building, going out there and getting, um, starting to build the relationships with the people who you, who you know you're going to do business with on the other side of, of, the, of the recession and um, laying the groundwork for all of that and doing it in a bunch of different creative ways and so on and so forth. And um, the people that... It's funny, 10 years down the track and, and some of the, um, you know, some of the, my clients that I'm still working with or some of the people that are in my, um, I guess, professional circles that, that we've been through that ride together for the last 15, 20 years, they'll all say now, 20 years down the track from when we started talking about all this ages ago, isn't it amazing how at the end of the day, it's your relationships that get you through? So, Sam... Um, back to you. I think yeah. we've got two really good points under our belt. The third one would be? The third mistake would be yeah. um, surprises. So I, I would say, so avoid, so the the mistake is to to set yourself up for a surprise and the, the, the takeaway from it is in your business, um, implement a, a, a no surprises model. So yeah. what I mean by that is, is, Perfect. Yeah. Forecast, set a budget, understand what you think you're going to do, you know, um, what you think you're going to do, say, for over the next 12 months. Um, uh, mark time. So look at how you performed for the month. You know, the, the, you run up a, a series of reports and understand what your numbers are actually doing. Um, what we do a lot of, you know, the, probably the biggest surprise or what client, what I spend a, a lot of time with clients um, on is, you know, they're, they're kind of their tax liabilities because it's one of those things that can creep up really quickly when they go from, I, I say they go from go to woe, you know, they might start, they might be a startup or have started a company with no turnover and they're doing quite well over a, even over a one or two year period, you know, the, the, the big surprise could be that you may have within that, you know, at the end of that two year period, potentially three years worth of tax bills to fund within the prospective, you know, next 14 months. So hmm. it's about kind of understanding, um, yeah, every, every type of aspect of your business um, and then just forecasting. I think all the, all the good businesses that I work with, they're constantly looking out. They're looking ahead, not behind. And the the 
with the with the power of kind of cloud computing, everything's at our fingertips now. You know, the 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 use of uh, you know the historic financial statements is pretty much um, that there is none. Like it's all about what you're going to do next and what the future holds. And I think a, a lot of those a lot of those um, really good businesses I work with avoid and do not like the surprise. So you when know, you're preparing a business for a surprise, Sam, do you find when you're doing this with a client, yeah. they're realistic about what they're saying to you? Um, both Pez and I have experienced in a business we both worked with that there was quite a bit of what was called heroic behaviour, so it was unrealistic. So when you say, okay, no surprises, do they give you good, accurate answers? And if they don't, how do you get them? Um Usually there's, usually there's some way that um, what I'm trying to convey um, can be, you know, um, proved, for instance. Okay. So, for, so look, I'm just thinking, you know, a sunny, a sunny disposition about, you know, a dire financial position can easily be explained by looking at, um, or easily explained for me, say, but... Um, by breaking down working capital in a business. No, I think we've got some issues here. Like if, let's say, you know, a client, a, a, a business has um, got some real cash flow issues, you know, we can break down the working capital and say, look, here's, here's what your debtor days are, for instance. This is what your revenue is. This is how fast you're collecting. We do have an issue, you know. Um, one of the, one of the, the common um, mistakes that clients make or is that, that they, they might try and finance um, the acquisition of an asset differently, although they don't match the finance with the nature of the asset. So, you know, you might, um, yeah, for instance, you buy a car, it lasts you five years, your finance should actually match the period in which you buy the car. If you're going to, if you're going to pay cash for the car, then you need to understand that you're going to take something immediately away from yourself to go and buy it. So that, that kind of cash flow, mm. that, that, that need to monitor and manage that is, is, is critical. And the, um, the ones which, you know, unfortunately you can't, you can't kind of um, convince or um, steer everybody all the time in the right direction. They, they tend to get found out if, if someone doesn't want to, you know, believe that what you're the surprise you're trying to give them is um, is an actual fact. There's always um, yeah. some way of kind of proving it, or or not proving it, but just kind of the, the, it'll it'll eventually come to the fore, which is you know unfortunate. Whether it's a the numbers you know, don't lie. Yeah, the number. Yeah, numbers don't lie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there'll be a there'll be a prospective tax bill that they'll need to fund, which they don't have the cash to fund, you know, or there might be um, some sort of obligation in their business that they can't afford to, to meet because yeah, there's no, there's no cash. I mean, we're always coming back to, to cash because it's, you know, the, the blood or the lifeblood of, of, you know, every business, but um, you know, that they'll, it'll, it'll, it'll happen eventually. So yeah. Mm. Um, but it's just about, I mean, the, the best, the best clients um, have their head around, those surprises and when you get yourself into a rhythm of reporting um understanding what what what's coming up 
you know, it's easier to have those conversations. It's easier to introduce those concepts to them. So, you know, those clients that run that type of framework um, are, are best positioned to deal with those type of issues. Uh-huh. So w- with that, because I always find it interesting about, and I, I think culturally, um, whether they're financial controllers inside of businesses or, or external accountants, um, over the years we've seen a, a shift in the, you know, not looking in the rearview mirror as much. Um, and I think probably a lot of that has come about with the, the always available cloud um, dashboards and, you know, like your, your, your accounting software can give you real-time information to, you know, even a novice like me when it comes to looking at that stuff. Um, it's really interesting. What would you suggest is a good forecasting rhythm to be in? Like, you know, how would a, an owner operator of, you know, a, a 20, 30 person business, 50 person business, what, what's a good rhythm to be in with, with their accountant? On, on forecasting is it, um, is it a monthly discussion is it set it for the year and review it every quarter uh, it'd, it'd be one of those two things but there's some sort of revisiting of what you do at the beginning of the year throughout the rest of the year so um you know there's a there's a i've got a client that i work with you know monthly and we because of the nature of his work it's it's project based and it's short-term project-based. We, we meet monthly and we go through what jobs are coming up, what, um, what his kind of um, bigger um, plans are. So he's, he's an example of one of those businesses where, you know, the, the end in mind for him is to generate profit in his business, take it out and, you know, gen- then, then generate wealth for him and his family. So um, it's about... Yeah, looking at the, the the jobs coming up, the profit that that will be um, made, you know, ha- what what obligations the business has, and then then moving that that kind of cash that he's collected, kind of into the 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 bigger picture, which is outside of his business. So um, yeah, it's there's some sort of the rhythm. I think rhythm is a, is a good word because it's it's got to be um, some sort of regular. Yeah, um, it's got to be some sort of regular event, whether it's monthly, quarterly. Um, you know, if if you weren't one of those clients that we kind of meet with, then you you will get a a phone call from me from time to time, and you will definitely sit down with us um, at least twice a year. But I'd, I'd like to think we, we we're in touch with our clients a lot more than that to kind of understand these types of issues. Any, any final thoughts there, Sam? Like, have you got a supplementary uh, key mistakes that you can make well, or, 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 you know, ways to overcome them? Um, no, I'll probably um, just add to the, the comments you guys were making previously about um, the GFC and that mm-hmm. time. And, you know, I, I worked through that time as well. And you can, you can call it a... Um, you can put it in the mistake box or you could put it in the, the here's a good action box. But I found um, in that period, you know, as, as a, as a practice, we thrived. And the reason why we thrived in that, that tough time was we got the communication with clients, right? Yeah. Uh, we didn't back, we didn't back away in that time from, you know, tough conversations with them. 
we, you know, we, we were on the front foot with them. They, they heard from us, you know, throughout the journey. Um, it was a different type of client base to what I'm working with now. And that they were, they were going through like a, a different, um, you know, a different kind of hardship, you know, through the, mm-hmm. the than what say the business owners are kind of feeling now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really all about communication um, with them. So yeah, we, yeah, we it, it was, it was a, it was a good experience then because it was, it was a number of years ago and it, I think it really um, solidified in me that it, it, communication is, is everything. But remember in our podcast earlier on in this lockdown, we said, if you do nothing else, go and have a relationship and communicate with your clients. And I think it still applies actually. Yeah. Well, it never doesn't apply. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, we can't lose. The hard thing in Melbourne at the minute, and I did speak to someone yesterday that part of the contribution to a bit of this sort of fatigue that everyone's going to is you you can't just go and catch up with someone for a coffee. You, can, you, you just can't do it. It's physically impossible to do unless you live with five Ks of them and you want to walk around, you know, an oval with them. Um, and so, you know, they, you have to come up with some creative ways in, in which to do it. And it means it's usually over Zoom or over the phone or, 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 or the like. And it's, it's just become a bit, I guess, boring and mundane and the drudgery of it. Um, but we can't afford not to do it once, I guess, things get loosened up a bit. And it's one of those things that we just got to, you do it in time, tough times, but you've got to do it when the sun's shining as well. I think about this though. If you haven't been communicating with your clients, how weird it is six months down the track when you all of a sudden start communicating with them. All right. Yes. I, like I like that expression you used before, Chris, about um, what were you doing during summer? Yeah, there'll be a time when the winter asks you what you did all summer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's probably quite, quite fitting for now. If there's if there's one thing that this podcast always throws up, it's it's my my absolute commitment to get some sort of sporting analogy or or, or coach. <laughs> See what I have to put up with, Sam. <laughs> Mate, I really appreciate you jumping on and and um, listening to us grill you over the the top three mistakes. It's been really really um, enlightening, actually, because sometimes. Whilst, whilst a lot of people might look at what you said and say, you know, these are some basics that, that we should get um, right anyway, it's amazing how many times the fundamentals just aren't done. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your insight, Sam. Really enjoyed it. And we'll catch you next time, Egg. And one thing that we didn't speak about, and you did raise it, was that we should also uh, let people know how they can get in contact with us. So what we'll do is we'll add our um, our contact details uh, to the information at the end of the uh, podcast notes through your various um, podcast supplies. So whatever you listen to us on in the information or the description there, we'll, um, we'll put some contact details because we have had the odd person ask us, well, how do I get in contact with you? And I just um, assumed, Eggy, that people would just search your name and 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 they'd find you from there. But um, why don't we just make it easy for them? Yeah, cool. All right, Excellent. mate. We'll uh, catch up soon and uh, we'll keep the good times rolling. So look out for this one. And um, I, hope you're, uh, I hope you're enjoying your freedom and your ability just to jump in your car and go to, up to the beach or something up there, mate.